This is the Florida Horse Podcast, presented by the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. In this episode, we're rejoined once again by FTBOA's Tammy Gant and Brent and Crystal Fernand of Journeyman Stud as they continue the conversation about the Florida Sire Stakes. So when you talk about the history, I know there's some horses that have been in the Florida Sire Stakes that we may have a little bit of a favorite or a story behind. Uh, so I have one. It's unbridled. I'm not going to lie. He's my my boy. I look for any of his um, gr- grandson's sons, any horses running in the Breeders' Cup, because I ha- think he's had such a powerful influence um, as a Florida bred, as a racehorse, and then, um, you know, in his career, uh, producing some outstanding champions. And so he stands out in my mind, but I know you have a couple of Sire Stakes horses that that um, stand out in your mind. I got a story about that. Uh, Fred Bry was at the farm one day, and Jackson Ben had just swept Stallion Stakes, I believe it still was at that time. Uh, the previous year and he was, it was about the first of April and he was out at the farm and he says, I got a two year old filly that can outrun Jackson Ben right now. I said, Sure you do, Fred. And the filly turned out to be a awesome feather. And so that that was a great story. Fred had already identified her as as a, the successor to Jackson Ben. Um, of course she was undefeated when she won the the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. Yeah, because she swept the Sire Stakes, uh-huh. went to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. I happened to be there. It was an incredible moment for Florida because Big Drama won that year also. Mm-hmm. And then I, I believe Zenyatta was the, the closing act who didn't quite beat Blame. It was the best race I've ever seen a horse actually lose because Zenyatta was so amazing. But to have you know Big big Drama and Awesome Feather on that same card. And then the next day, Awesome Feather is in the sale the next day. And she was just such a tiny... Philly. And I looked, I go, I can't believe that Philly just won the Breeders' Cup yesterday. It was incredible. Yeah. Of course, we bred Princess Secret, who won two-thirds of the uh, Sire Stakes races when the the Susan's Girl and the My Dear Girl as her two-year-old year. That was a big thrill to us. Uh, we still have her mother at home, and she's got a full brother to Princess Secret. Really? You still have her, her mother? Right now. Mm-hmm. She's wow. unfolded our new horse, Uncle Chuck. Oh wow, that's amazing! And that legacy continues. Yeah. So you, so some of the horses that you've you've performed well in the sire stakes, you have now have as brood mares or the daughters of ones that have performed. We have both the mare and her daughter at home, the filly JP's Delight, oh. who won the Marion County Stakes at Tampa. We happen to be fortunate enough to own her at that time. Uh, it was kind of like. Un- misfortune turning into fortune because she had a chip in her knee as a two-year-old so i couldn't sell her and later on when we got her to racetrack she was just incredibly fast and we beat wildwood's beauty winning wow. the uh, marion county stakes and so that was exciting we have her dam at home too who's currently in photocos on has a saint patrick's day colt by her side she is in photo uncle chuck jp is and she's got a Cozon Philly by her side. So it's all kind of wraps around, works together. So you're moving into your next generation of horses. And it's interesting, you say the Marion County Stakes, and there's the city of Ocala Stakes. I don't know if all the folks in our county even realize there's stakes named after our county and our city. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I know a few do because we've taken a bus trip with the um, community and, and business leaders over there, and that's that's been great fun. So, Crystal, is there anything that you want to add as far as the, the Florida sire stakes and the importance of people, uh, you know, nominating those horses for it or just, you know, part of that history that means a lot to you? Well, I think as far as the nomination process, you guys do such a great job of sending out reminders and, you know, that's because you all get busy, you know, that time of year and things can slip by you. So FTBOA has always done a really great job with, if you need a reminder, if you're paying any attention at all, there's reminders everywhere to pay those. And I know we'll go back through, well, you know, when the yearling payment comes, if we've sold any follow-up, you know, with people that's bought them, make sure that they, they know as well. Because if you're going to breed Florida breads, it's just, makes no sense to not have them registered for that stake those st that stake series because it's just like the pinnacle of what being a florida bred is all about is having the opportunity for those kind of races at your disposal and then when you're at the cell and they come by with that little sheet that you guys have with mm -hmm. all the and they want to see horses that are registered for the Florida Sire Stakes. I think that says it all. Yeah, I, I've noticed I get a lot more calls around the sales confirming if a horse is the Florida Sire Stakes eligible. Mm -hmm. And we do produce that sheet at the sales, which I'm glad to hear you consigning horses see that sheet go around because we actually have people make those decisions on their short list based on is the horse Sire Stakes eligible mm -hmm. or not. And so, and you brought up a good point. So we have a May 15th yearling deadline, but the sales happen after that, a lot of them. And so what happens if you had a horse on a June sale, you know, that's nice that you follow up and check that. But we also have that November 15th deadline for that purpose. So there's only two payments, May 15th and January 15th, and then some secondary ones if people miss it, which is, which is really important. I know at Calder, there were four payments. It was the full, it was the yearling, and then there was a two two-year-old ones. And so it took about three years for people to realize, no, we don't have four. We just have two. And we try to make it so it works if you're selling those horses and not breeding to race. So you have a pretty good point there because I've seen that increase. And we've actually increased the number of Florida breads in the full crop over uh, over the decades since we began this program under the auspices of FTBA. We've actually seen a steady increase in the percentage of horses of the full crop that are FSS eligible. And that hovers, you know, it's more than 60%. It's been as high as 69% of the full crop. So that just tells you that extra benefit it is to breed a Florida bred, but also, um, you know, breed it to have a Florida, uh, Florida sire, which is one of the criteria to make sure you breed to a F2A registered Florida sire. Well, like Crystal said, when people come by at the yearling sale or at the two-year-old sales, they see these horses and they want to make sure that they're, they're eligible for the sire stakes. I mean, it only makes sense. You give 50000 for a horse and potentially you, four five months later, you could be running at a $400,000 race. And, you know, bang for your buck, you compare it to nominating to the Breeders' Cup, it's just a whole lot more likely that lightning will strike in the FSS races for you. Yeah, and as breeders, we want to make sure yeah. that, you know, that's why we follow up. Because if if we find one or two that maybe has forgotten or they've fallen off, you know, off the chart for them for some reason, you, you sure don't want to see that horse win and know that, you didn't follow up and do everything that you could as a breeder because, you know, you have the breeders awards that come along with it and the stallion, the stallion awards that come along with it. And you want definitely as a breeder to make sure that those horses are fully nominated. Yeah, I track down phone numbers and, and I text people and say, you bought 
uh, hip so and so. Uh, Surprise! You you <laughs> you can win four hundred thousand. You 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 need to make your payment to the Florida Sire Stakes, and they'll liable to text back. Thanks. Who is this? <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, "Wait, you just helped me out." So when they're in the winter circle, hopefully they remember that, and you get that nice steak dinner at one of those nice restaurants at Gulfstream Park. I'd settle for this. Uh, stallion Award. There we go. Yeah, you, well, yeah, that Stallion Award, of course. What, what's interesting, too, is not only, you know, is it's the prestige. A lot of it is the prestige of having those champions and then also the prep for the Breeders' Cup um, in, the, in that series. But also um, on the other side of it, the betters really love the Florida Sire Stakes. It's very well received. It's been some of the biggest days for Gulfstream Park, which is, is amazing when you say it's an August, you know, September series, yet the crowds love it. It's very competitive. They really like to um, analyze the, the two-year-olds that are there and, and, and where they might, you know, where they might finish in those races. So I, I think that's a benefit too, because when you have a large field of wonderful horses going to post, but then at the end of the day, the race can say, "Hey, we had a lot of people interested in looking at those horses." I think that also gets us new owners in the business, because if they're watching this, you know, somewhere else in the country, they're saying, "Wow, these horses are really competing." Well, you would think from the horseman standpoint and from the racetrack standpoint that they would love it as well because if you check out their summer racing, inevitably with the possibility of the summit of speed, their three best days are going to be those Florida Sire Stakes days. Yeah, and they have. They've surpassed even some others, and they keep growing. You know, it's each year we hear, oh, it's another record. And and you see the, the, the year before's record, and you say, wow, that was unbelievable, and now we're hitting that number. And so I think the handle's really important. So for those that don't realize, the handle generates that, that those funds that help fund the Breeders' Awards. So the, the, the more competitive the races are, which a lot of Florida breads are, I mean, the, the, the number of races Florida breads win in the Gulfstream Championship meet in the summer are significant. And then the number of those horses that win that are sired by Florida Stallion is significant. And I think that's a stat sometimes people don't always see, you know, it gets lost in the shuffle. But if you follow horse racing at Gulfstream Park in the, in the, at the championship meet in the summer, you'll start to see that. Without question, you know, the, um, I kind of do a little tracking on my own. I'll go through and, and check out, uh, how many Florida breads I'll pick an odd day and see how many Florida breads are running it. Gulfstream that day and the interesting thing is is you'll see a maiden special weight race for two-year-old fillies it's a state bred race which I love I'm glad that they're doing those but when you look at the race and then the next week they came back come back with the same race in open company and say wow that race for Florida breads come up tougher than the than the maiden special weight open did and so you know I think that we're more than competitive down there. In the wintertime, we're competitive, and in the summertime, we dominate. Yeah, and I, I think, too, I, I didn't mention that you're on the FTBA Board of Directors. You're a past president and a, a former first lady of FTBA, <laughs> as we will. And I think that one of the things you brought to the table is that I was always impressed because you would pull out the statistics saying, you know, one day I tracked this and I saw this, and you come to the table well-armed with information. Um, so that helps you in all the decisions you make, and that's why I think you've had such a successful business for so many years. But I also know that you didn't start at the pinnacle here. You started as grooms and so you want to talk a little bit about your journey of because I think some people see those that are in the industry today and don't know if they can attain that so if they hear folks backstory then they realize okay they weren't an overnight success they put in a lot of sweat equity um, and work to get there 
We came here in 1976 and uh, left Indiana with out of college education and not much prospects of for anything. Got down here and got a job making $130 a week, working six and a half days. And Crystal got a job as a receptionist, and she made less money than I did. And we started working at it. And I started watching these, you know, what was going on around me. And I said, there's got to be a better way of doing this rather than just mucking stalls for a living. And so I learned everything I could about a horse. And by 1980, I'd be came the broodmare manager by default at Lassiter Farm. Uh, by default meaning that Blackie Huffman, the previous broodmare manager, decided he wanted to go back to training horses. He moved back to Kentucky, and they couldn't find anybody to uh, take his place at that time. And so after about six months, I said, you know, things are going pretty good with me running it. So needless to say, we did start from the ground floor and uh, went out on our own what was it 89 89 1989 he's leaving out a key element that he pinhooked goats before that so he had some pinhooking ability already in it with those goats yes yeah that was uh, that was tricky <laughs> buy them goats for three dollars and then when they have a baby take them back because the babies were so cute they'd sell for 25 30 dollars just on emotion i was 11 or 12 years old, so I thought I'd... So had you were a... well prepared for this industry. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't mean to cut you off. Continue. We were up but to 1989. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 1989, we went out on our own. We came up with the, the name Journeyman Bloodstock a few years earlier because I was starting to buy a few horses on my own um, or with Johnny Mac Smith, the, one of the founders of Peterson and Smith. And so I said, you know... The only goal I ever had here was to be a good journeyman horse and somebody knows how to do his job. So we'll just start journey. We'll buy horses under journeyman bloodstock. And so we didn't realize it was going to become a full-time venture. But in 1989, there wasn't enough jobs around. I lost my job uh, as farm manager where I was. And, and we started out getting some resumes made and was worrying about having to move to Kentucky and uh, just started trying to sell horses for people. And and it just kind of stumbled along and we did pretty well or kept the lights on anyways. And then a mare came for, up for sale and her name was Eileen's Moment. And I'd had her two-year-old the year before for a short while. He was a horse named uh, Lily T., so when she came up for sale, we went ahead and bought her. And two months later, Lily T won the Kentucky Derby. And that was a big asset to us. That, yeah, that day especially because we had a filly in training that um, we were pricing to somebody for 35000 And they came to OBS to look at her. We breezed her. Everything was great. Um, I went back to our farm because the blacksmith was coming. So I was going over there. Brent stayed with the groom to make sure she cooled out and he's like okay she's good enough put her on the hot walker and then put her back in the stall she fell broke her femur lost the sale so we go into the we come home take showers get ready to go in and watch the derby and we're sitting there with our daughter who's like what's she been 12 92 and um so we're just sitting there and and brent's like if he could just hit the board this would be great and then 
the, that was the year Rosie was, you know, all the talk. So they're coming out around the club. And APND. Yeah. And they're coming out, out wow. of the clubhouse turn. And, you know, they're calling Arazi's doing this. And Brent jumps up and he says, forget about Arazi. Here comes this big shadow roll because they ran him in a great mm-hmm. big shadow roll. And so we're, you know, jumping up and down and hollering and carrying on. And, you know, it was crazy. Years and years later, we're at uh, Breeders' Cup with um, Fred Bry. And sitting at the table next to us is Pat Day, who had won, who had been riding Lily T that day. The second day, the Breeders' Cup, such a nice guy, he comes over and introduces himself because I didn't go over. People had been talking to him the whole time. So I told him that we had this, you know, that was your derby and this was our day. And so then he started telling me his story of that day. And it just kind of made it, you know, so complete that whole, you know, how something, a horse can have that much impact on so many different people. Yeah, it's it, and it starts out where, you know, you say it was a, a devastating thing for you to have a horse that might sell for 35000 and you're you're down in the dumps, but yet somehow by the blessings, the horse racing world's crazy like that, right? All mm-hmm. of a sudden now you can be on top of the world because a horse you had a connection with, Lily T, wins the Kentucky Derby. And then, like you said, the story of Pat behind it um, is, is just very inspiring. And I think that's the tale of horse racing, right? We, mm-hmm. People breed horses. You know, it's the riskiest part of the business. But they don't necessarily breed them for the money. They breed them for the idea that one day that horse will be in a race and be a champion. Uh, and yes, the financial part's there. But there's a lot more to it, I think, than that. Because when you see a horse that you believe in and they do something, it's there's there's like a something in your psyche that changes. It just it's just very very heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll watch races at home, and it, we'll have a horse that we bred. We'll be running, and it could be a cheap horse, you know, a five thousand dollar claimer, but if it turns for home and he's making a run at the leaders, we're up and jumping and yelling and like dogs are barking. The dogs are barking. <laughs> and are you like doing the the snap oh, yeah. with oh, your yeah, finger? The, yeah. snap. the snap with your finger. Yeah. And like you're riding him down the last quarter mile. It's like, come on, come on. And they're you're as tired as the jockey at the uh-huh. end. <laughs> but anybody anybody that's ever owned a racehorse and won a race with him recognizes that that feeling. You know, that for me it's one of the great reasons to own stallions for us. You know, I mean, you can breed horses and you can cheer them down the, but when you're, when you're the owner of the stallion, everything that's by your stallion is, that's the way we do. We're, we're cheering, you know, as hard for them as what we would if it was our own horse, because, you know, it's a culmination of five years, really, to really find, to make a stallion, find out, you know, what their potential is, how much success they're going to have. So you've put a lot of years into getting to that place where you can see progeny of your stallion running down the racetrack and it's in it's we do cheer just as hard for them as what we do for ones that are our own and so to have a stallion that you can do that with i i don't know why everybody don't own them because it's just so cool to be able to to cheer on that many horses but to circle back I don't think any of them have ever been as exciting as Lily T1 in the Derby. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to mention a little bit about stallions and about um, the Florida breeders, how they do embrace first-year stallions. And so I think that also bodes well for success because they can find value in those stallions and believe in them and kind of be the early adopters, right, to those stallions. So Mr. Prospector comes to mind. And there are a few other stallions that um, started here, move on to Kentucky and other places for much larger stud fees. And so I have to say it's a testament to you and, and many other folks that breed Florida stallions, that when those stallions start to have success, they, they're able to find some ways to maybe keep those stallions here and continue that legacy. You want to speak a little bit about that? Decision to pinhook a stallion, which is basically what you're doing. He, he does a little bit. Uh, people get their tongue over the bit and want to buy him. You sell him right then. Uh, you've put, from my perspective, you've put three years into this horse at this point. And uh, he's going to produce income for you, whether you sell him, you know, right now or whether you keep him and stand him at stud, if he's a good horse. So, you know, I'm not saying we wouldn't sell a stallion because obviously there's going to be financial pressure at mm -hmm. some point if a horse is doing really, really good. Uh, but I'm never anxious to do it. I feel like the people that breed to them down here should have the opportunity to continue to breed to them as long as it's financially feasible. That You're right. There's an economic decision at some point that has to be made. But when you weigh all of that, you can say, I don't have to move that quickly. Like you said, get over your skis, sit back a little and see if you say maybe, you know, I've got some house mares that I have or maybe some clients that it's worthwhile to keep them here as long as that price point will work in the marketplace and then give them opportunity to, to breed some more Florida Sire Stakes horses, if you will. When we got Wildcat Air, uh, I was in a meeting because he belonged to Windstar Farm and TaylorMade along with New Farm. New Farm owned half. The other half was owned by TaylorMade and Windstar, but they um, had control of the horse where they was going to go. And so we were discussing in one of those conference rooms at Keeneland, um, it was Bill Kasner, who was with Winstar at the time, and Doug Cawthon, and uh, Ben Taylor, and Duncan Taylor, and, and myself, and uh, Steve, or Steve, Doug says, you well, mentioned Steve. I think of my teen beat heartthrob from 1978 <laughs> on affirmed uh, Florida bread. By the way, this is this is his younger brother. Yes, Doug. <laughs> so, so Doug Doug says, "Well, if, if we stand him up here at Windstar, he said we'll stand him for 12.5, and he'll breed 100 mares." And so uh, I said, "Well, if we stand him at at Cloverleaf, which is where we retired him to," I said. Uh, I'd stand him for 8,500, and he'll breed 175 mares. And they all looked at me like, well, is he crazy or is he a liar? And so at that point, uh, I sicked Frank Taylor on Doug because Frank's very persuasive when he wants to be, and Frank talked him into doing it. And we did breed 175 mares that year at 8,500 a pop, and that's the crop that came up with 39 winners in his first crop. So, you know, you you got to have confidence in what you're doing. Now, I've had some swing and misses. I, 
I really don't want to talk about them so much. But <laughs> We'll just leave that on that you're crazy <laughs> like a fox, <laughs> and, and we'll figure those out later. Um, so is there anything you want to add um, before we close out? I really appreciate you both being um, guests, but it's kind of weird interviewing you because I feel like you're friends. You're some of the first well, we people are friends. when Absolutely. we came up here that, that that was the thing is when I see you walk in the room, I think of friendship first and then all these amazing stories related to it, and I'm glad to have been a little bit a part of that history, which has been really fun. Well, the one thing I say whenever I get an opportunity is every dollar we have and everything we've accomplished was done because of Florida thoroughbreds. So the Florida thoroughbred industry and, by extension, the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association is incredibly important to us. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please give us a review and follow and subscribe to us on all popular podcast platforms and YouTube.